2: Welcome back to Play Tessie. It is Coop. I am joined by the usual cast of characters, Sammy and Gordo, on the official podcast of gross organic brown mustard at Fenway Park. Also, the official Red Sox podcast of WEEI, home of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, we have a great interview today. We were joined by Chris Smith of Math, Mass Lot Math. Math. Mass live, uh, talking some Red Sox offseason, some some great Yamamoto talk. We're fresh off of a of the first trade, hopefully the first of maybe not many, but just the first trade of a few for the Red Sox this offseason. They picked up Isaiah Campbell of the Seattle Mariners for Louie. Louis Urias, he's gone. I'm sorry, guys. He's the dead dog, as uh, 45 would say. Um, but he's still alive. That that was harsh. Oof. But we talked a little bit about that trade, Hard what that might mean. Coop. Yeah, that was, that was tough. <laughs> uh, but we're going to be talking about what that trade means, uh, what it might indicate bringing in a relief arm for the Red Sox and the fact that they're giving up a righty bat. Uh, we also talk about... Oh, Shohei We we talked some. We joy. got something that makes me very excited. I was fist pumping after something that Chris Smith said. Um, so it's a fun episode. I, Gorda, what was your biggest takeaway?
1: I mean, there's just a lot of optimism in there. There's, I mean, I, yeah, I, you're, you got you got to give it a listen and just take it in because we 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 all left the pot or we all left the interview way more optimistic about what the Red Sox are going to do than we were when we entered it. So. I, I think it's a really good one. Like, you're going to enjoy it.
3: I'll just say it makes Sammy's 3% look uh, childish. I look bad right now. I'm, I'm, I look like gross brown mustard or whatever you said in the intro. I'm, but gross hey, brown hey, mustard. I would be That's so, your next year's
1: Halloween costume. I
3: would be so thrilled to be dead wrong about my almost no chance at Otani take. So, hey, I, people are going to really enjoy this episode. That's all I'll say. It's not going to make me
2: happy to gloat and dance in your face, but I might shed tears of joy
3: do it do it dude i if, if they get of today, you can roast me for the oh entire Christ. contract until he's gone and retired i will be so happy but it's not gonna happen
1: the beauty but, of this Sotani circumstance here is regardless of what happens we're getting coop tears on this podcast tears oh, of joy yeah, yeah. if he's here tears of sadness if he's not it's you a guarantee we could
2: have like the smile like the most minor inconvenience and we will have coop tears i can promise you that much but on that note we're gonna get to the interview with chris smith uh let us know what you think sound off in the replies whether whether you think that his percentage for otani coming here is bs or not whether you agree with both chris smith and i a uh, little teaser there uh if you haven't listened to that that percentage episode yet that was the last episode episode four uh the joe cronin episode go back and listen to that it was a whole lot of fun and uh we'll catch you on the other side of this interview with chris we at Play are welcomed. By one of one of my favorite guys to see in the the press area at Fenway Park, it's Chris Smith of Mass Live. He's been uh, he's been doing his thing over at Mass Live for a little bit now. He's been writing over at the e- Eagle Tribune. Eagle, Is that correct? Eagle. Yeah. Before Eagle that, Tribune. Before say. that, Syracuse alum. First question. Yes. Based on that, post Jim era, how are you feeling?
4: I'm feeling pretty good um the new coach got some good you know transfers which jim Beheim, I, I, th- I don't think he had any idea what a transfer was so um they got a kid from kansas they got a kid from auburn they've got a kid from florida state that they that transferred in and i think they'll be good next year i, I mean i think they'll be good throughout the like as this year goes on and then next year they'll make the tournament probably again so i think we're we're getting back syracuse basketball
2: so it's in the rebuild era.
4: Yeah, but I was, as I tell people, I was not a Syracuse. I'm not a Syracuse fan because, you know, I went to the school, and I only went to the school as a grad student. Actually, um, I'm a Syracuse fan because I, I have family from Syracuse. So when I was like five, six, seven years old, you know, my great uncle would, you know, sit me down in, Syracuse, you know, when I visited him in Syracuse, and he'd be like, "This is the team to watch, not Boston College." When Boston College and Syracuse were playing football against each other. And so like I would go to, you know, BC football games against Syracuse at BC with a with a McNabb jersey on and stuff like that when I was in the seventh or eighth grade. So Syracuse was always like I've always been a fan of Syracuse. I remember the ninety-six run with John Wallace, um, when I was in like the sixth grade. So yeah, so it's it's always been, you know, a thing where I've watched their sports and that it wasn't just because I went to the school, like Cotillo, who you know, went to UNC and has no idea who ever played there before UNC.
2: He's so Catillo is like a he's a system fan. Yes, much much like Tom Brady system quarterback. Yeah, is just like he's plug and play in
4: that. Exactly right. What I mean, if he went to Syracuse, he'd be a big Syracuse fan right now. So whatever. Oh, you're
1: throwing the goat some shade over there.
5: <laughs> I'm, putting, <laughs> I'm putting I'm putting Let's
0: a
2: little perspective a little onto it. If uh but we didn't bring you on to
4: four years you should you know you should have that right yeah. i i went to syracuse for only like four semesters so um not that i'm saying grad students shouldn't get the right to cheer for them but uh some people I, you like, worked hard for that fan. masters
2: what's you, that you deserve to you, you worked hard for that masters you deserve <laughs> exactly, to uh, enjoy right? the fruits of your labor exactly yeah that comes with it yeah i we're, we're gw me and gordo we're gw alums. so it's not like we have too much pride in our sports for uh our alma mater
4: i actually watched the george washington basketball game yesterday really? that's
2: i'm proud of you for that that's tough what
4: i try to do is like i'm a i i can't bet on baseball obviously the you know baseball writers aren't technically supposed to bet on baseball although i, I have no real you know like I, I I stink at fantasy baseball and stuff. So it's not like I'd be any good at it anyway, but like college basketball is really the only thing I bet on. And so like I I get on the ESPN Plus app. I start watching games as they go on and like I'll bet on a game with like sometime in the second in the second half. And I made over a thousand dollars in the NCAA, uh, tournament last year. And just yesterday, I made 125 on three games. The George Washington game was one game that I was looking at. And I was like, and I didn't do it, but I I went on like three. What's that?
2: I said smart of you not to bet on GW.
4: (laughs) So yeah, I was watching it.
2: Gone are the days of the, uh, Yuta Watanabe, uh, NBA the glory alum, days of GW. GW alum in the NBA. <laughs> I, I think he's still one. with the Spurs.
1: No, he's with the Suns
2: now. He he followed yeah. KD over there. Okay, sure. That's GW our, our showing off his greatness. <laughs> um, but we wanted to kind of dive into some of what's been going on this offseason. It's it's been exciting. Not that Syracuse uh, football and basketball isn't exciting, but. The Red Sox offseason is much different than where it was last year, and that's why we wanted to bring the expert in here to to let us know if our crazy conspiracy theories have been right, what we fantasize about this team looking like in 2024 is correct. We need sometimes someone to come in and just you know stifle a little bit or even let us know that we're on the right trail. Uh, So that's why we have you here today, Chris. Um, And first things first, the Red Sox did something on Friday. They brought in a brand-new pitcher, Uh, but also let go of someone that a lot of fans weren't sure we're going to be seeing here next year, not Luis Urias. Uh, A right-handed bat at second base. Kind of what the Red Sox have been talking about on the offensive side of the ball rather than the pitching. So it's interesting to see where things break down. I mean, when you heard this trade come out Friday night, where was your head at? Where did you see Craig Breslow taking this team uh, after that?
4: Yeah, I think it's a good deal. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't see. You know, uh, I didn't see a future. Uh, you know, for uh, Luis. So it's like, you know, like in in Boston. So I think they got a good, you know, relief pitcher. Um, you know, he was actually a relatively high draft pick, right? Like seventy sixth overall. And so, you know, um, you know, I think that they added it's funny because at the gm meetings i kept asking him about the bullpen and craig brezel i was like you know do you need to add a lefty because you know Brendan bernardino is uh you know the only left-hander in their bullpen with an era under 4.90 last year so it's like you know they, they do need to add a lefty they do need to have somebody you know an additional variety like they did get right now um but he was like, that's not the priority. He just kept telling me. He's like, that's not the priority. He's like, the priority right now is to starting pitching, starting pitching. And then he ends up getting a reliever, his first move. Um, you know, I think, I, you know, he's got good stuff. He's, You know, his, his fastball average is 95, uh, you know. And so uh, it's a good move, I think. You know, they got another bullpen guy, <laughs> which is always important. So, um, yeah, so I, you know, I think that, Starting pitching obviously is going to. I think they're going to be in the market for you know big time guys in starting pitching, and I don't think they're just going to go get one. I think they're going to get go get two or three starters. Um, But this is a nice you know start to the offseason, I think. And you needed you start improving the pitching, and I think the bullpen needed help as well. I don't think it's just the starting rotation, although the starting rotation did put a lot of pressure on the bullpen last year. I mean the bullpen I think had you know top 5 in innings thrown maybe maybe top 2 in innings thrown and that's because the starting pitching was so bad so you know that's inevitably the bullpen's going to you know have worse numbers as the starting you know as the amount of guys I get they
2: it, get taxed more
4: yeah so but uh i think overall the whole starting uh, the whole pitching staff needed to be get better and this is a good start
2: so do you and i kind of look this is the way i took it as you're you're dishing out on that right-handed bat However, you're bringing in something that can almost be looked at as like an insurance policy for when you do start making these moves where it's the two to three starters that Craig Breslow wants to bring in because it's likely that it, one of those two to three is going to have a high price tag. I, I, I would be, I think everyone would be a little bit disappointed at this point if there wasn't a high, high price tag starting pitcher coming in this off season. So I'm going to list out some names. Maybe you just let me know where they fall in priority. And I'm leaving one out in particular, Yamamoto, because I think everyone can agree that he would be 1A. He's just a unicorn as far as what Craig Breslow may or may not want to pursue. Uh, So we've got Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, Aaron Nola, Lucas Giolito. And I'm going to include Brandon Woodruff in that. Where, Where do we see those lining up as far as the priorities for this front office right now?
4: You know, I think, as as you said, Yamamoto, I think, actually is going to be the priority. Even though you left him out, I just want to mention that I think he is going to be the priority. I think that, um, you know, they they actually had the DraftKings put out, like, their second-best odds to sign, you I know, like Yamamoto that. after Ooh. the Mets. And so, it should be interesting. Like, you know, there's other guys in there, like Matt's um, Marcus Stroman. Like, he was with Chicago, uh, you know, with Breslau. but. Does his personality line up with Boston? I think that's an important question on a lot of these guys. Like, you know, he's very much like David Price. He likes to go on social media and he he gets defensive on certain things. Not that, you know, I liked David Price. I, you know, I think that, you know, he got a bad rap at times, uh, you know, in Boston. But, um, you know, he should have been the 2018 World Series MVP. Um, But, you know, you look at it and he's very much like, Probably the, so you need to know the personality of these players as well. Just uh, Jordan, Mon- I keep calling people the wrong name, I almost call like
2: <laughs> I keep wanting to say Jim Montgomery just because the Bruins are hot right now.
4: Um, Jordan Montgomery, uh, you know. Is interesting because you know he was in New York, right? Like he knows what it's like. And his strikeout numbers weren't great in the postseason. And there wasn't like you know he did have a pretty good postseason, right? But the numbers weren't actually that great. Like you know the the advanced numbers and everything with him. But I think that would be a perfect guy, like to like Yamamoto and you know in Montgomery. I think that would be like you know ideal for them. Um, you know, like other guys, like, you know, Snell, I get, I get a little like, you know, Woodruff is going to, you know, he's going to be out all year anyway. Um, he's a guy that you could definitely look at and, you know, you could, you saw like the, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays had such success by like giving, you know, Nathan of obviously a two year deal where he came back the second year. And, you know, they obviously ultimately traded him to the Red Sox. But that's the type of thing, like, the Red Sox did with James Paxton in a way. And so, um, but, you know, like, Snell kind of, like, his numbers were insane this year, right? But, like, he's often not been as durable. And when you're going for a guy that, you know, you're going to have to give a huge contract to, I didn't pull it up here, but, like, you know, he's been up and down throughout his career. And let's see here. So, you know, innings-wise, like, he's only thrown – he's never thrown more than 180 innings. This was his most that he's ever thrown. Like, in previous years, you know, 128 uh, in 2022, 120, uh, 128 the year before. Um, actually, did have a 180 season in 2018 uh, when he won the Cy Young. But, but otherwise, like, he's not like – mr durable and i think that they need to look at like a couple of those things they need to like who's going to based on that contract who is going to best fit boston you know because you've got guys like you know you gave a big deal to david price and you know you see and so like who best is going to fit boston in terms of their personality and also with that kind of contract now you see nowadays there's a lot of opt-out clauses and staffing contracts, right? So I think any deal with any one of these big pitch- big pitchers is going to include an opt-out deal after a few years anyway. Um, but you also have to look at the durability factor if you're going to give somebody that, you know, an extended amount of like a long-term contract. So those would be the things. Uh, Noel is an interesting guy. I, I was looking at Noel, like he actually um, – has like he's like an every other year guy, I think, like uh <laughs> like Josh Beckett. I mean, his numbers I he's got durability and everything and you know he's he's interesting. I mean, like, you know, yeah, like I'm looking at it and like every other year he's really good. Well, he was pretty good from <laughs> 2017 through 2019. But um, yeah, you know, he's an interesting guy because but you know, he's had he hasn't yeah, he's pitched two uh two in, uh three seasons with two hundred plus innings. Um, I've always liked him, so yeah, I'd put him in the mix, but, um, I wouldn't be surprised with the way things going. Actually, my colleague Sean McGannum, when we were, like, predicting the offseason and everything and how things would go, I think he was the one that said, Yamamoto, Ian Montgomery. I would think that that would be a good route for the Red Sox.
6: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game.
5: Just do a quick search for Tecovas on social media and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit Tacovas.com that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west
2: i'm a fan of that one two punch i i I don't i don't see how anyone couldn't be especially with the fact that i mean the narrative of jordan montgomery going from the yankees to the rangers winding up with the red sox I, i think everyone loves that whole that whole transition of yankee to red sox and exceeding um so you kind of brought up a kind of an interesting thing where you are pretty confident in yamamoto and i think Sammy has a little bit of a question on that
3: yeah I got a Yamamoto question so a lot of the projections have him earning you know low 200s I think the highest I've seen is 230 but we on this show have hypothesized that with the bidding war and everything it could get higher than that is there a ballpark that you see him landing in dollars wise
4: so Jeff Passen, who's obviously locked in on all this stuff, actually compared on his, you know, ESPN plus article, subscriber only, like he could match the two biggest deals of you know, of any starting pitcher who's ever gotten, which is, you know, Steven Strasberg and Garrett Cole. Um, and so you're right, like it's go there's going to be a lot of bidding on this guy, big market teams you know, there's going to be a lot of big market teams in on them. And so the price could go more than you would like. And I think that one thing that, you know, teams have done is like they've set valuations, <laughs> even, even the Dodgers, right. With, I think Garrett Cole, they did that. was it's, they set like a valuation, Like I'm not going to go over this number. He's really good, but I'm not going to go over this number. And I think that, you know, we might see that with with Craig Breslow is is that, you know, you just can't, you know, he, he has never pitched a game in the major leagues. I mean, you know, you're giving a lot of money to a guy that you I mean, obviously, he probably will be a very good, you know, star pitcher in the league, but you just don't know. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, you you have to set some limit. Um, you know, like the Dodgers did with Cole, even though they probably should have given Cole the money. But, um, you know, like you you have to set some limit, especially with a guy that is never pitching the majors. You you know, there's there's some uncertainty. I mean, look at Dice K had this reputation. He only had really two good years. And so, um, you terrible. know, I, I think that there needs to be some uh, marker on, on how much you go, Pat, on how much you go to. So,
2: so, so do you think – is- so- Is there a lesson learned, do you think, from past examples? Like, is John Henry still skittish about, you know, Pablo Sandoval contracts, Carl Crawford contracts? Heck, I I love the guy, Dustin Pedroia contracts. Is there still a sense there where they are still very cautious of spending on guys like this, even though what they've been indicating is that they do want to go out and spend like they are going for a World Series in 2024?
4: I think ultimately what they wanted to do with with Hein Bloom and why they hired Hein Bloom is that they wanted something like Andrew Friedman with the Dodgers it is that pattern where what was Andrew Friedman was hired I think what after the 2014 season with the Dodgers and the first uh, nine digit contract that he actually gave out like everybody says oh the Dodgers give out a ton of money however you know Andrew Friedman you know hugely reduced payroll uh you know i mean it was still a huge payroll but he he reduced payroll significantly from the time that he got that job over the next three or four years and built from within obviously you know drafting pitchers is is difficult and they hit on drafting pitchers but you know they hit on all drafts but you know like i think that's the the blueprint that um you know, that John Henry wanted Bloom to do was like build up the farm system, build up from within, you know, and then you can spend, you know, you can sign big contracts. And so, um, you know, ultimately, I think that if you sign a guy to a big contract, you also want to be strong from within and you know as i said andrew freeman in 2004 i was i think he was having 2000 at the end of the 2014 season with the dodgers his first nine digit contract wasn't until Moogie betts in 2020 so you, every you know that's like five or six years that you know they were cautious that you know and so um you know and so you have to build up for the, so i think that it, when you ask about john henry being you know, nervous about these big deals. He should be, right? Like, you know, I think they were very involved in, um, I think Werner was the guy that was pretty involved in, you know, the Sandoval thing. Like, you know, they wanted, um, you know, uh, just just basically, you know, it was like the team was they getting They wanted the panda hats whatever. all over Fenway Park. The team was getting boring and he's the big panda and they had the big panda at the, you know, at the, at the press conference and everything. Um, but you have to sign people, obviously, off, you know, whether they're going to be good or not. And it, you you, ha- you just have to make that gamble sometimes, and that gamble doesn't work, especially with starting pitching is so very volatile and, and difficult to predict. So, I, yes, I think that they are um, nervous about, you know, huge deals. However, I think that they know the direction of the team right now. I would be very surprised if they didn't go out and spend money this offseason. I think they want to get – Craig Gresel off to a good start after what happened, you know, after what three, four last place finishes in so many years. So yeah, I think that they will be aggressive. I think they will spend. Um, but, you know, I don't think that what, that wasn't, that was not, not the plan with, with Bloom, I think, you know, and I think Bloom it was just was, Bloom you know, wasn't overall, the guy like,
2: that was willing to do it yeah, for them.
4: Yeah. And I think Bloom was overall like, you know, very hesitant to, you know, to, to, he was, he was uncertain with a lot of things like trades. Like he was, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And ultimately he didn't do it. And that's something that, you know, my co-beat writer Cotillo wrote is, it's just like indecisive, indecisive in, in the Red Sox, you know, from what I've heard, uh, you know, kind of got that uh, word about Bloom before they hired him was he's a little indecisive. And I think they want somebody now with, with that's decisive. Okay. If I've made this decision because you also have to, you're going to have to make trades. Uh, You know, there's not much, you know, positional talent on the, on the free agent market. Uh, They need a right-handed bat. They need a second baseman. They're going to have to make trades. They could bring in a second starter through trade instead of like, you know, how we talk about Yamamoto, like they could bring in a second starter through trade. So, they needed somebody decisive this offseason. He has built uh you know, Bloom did build. I mean, they have good prospects. Uh, you know, Roman Anthony and Marcelo Meyer and stuff like that, but they need a decisive guy to like pull the trigger and, and put them on top on some of these big deals. And it's good, you know, you're gonna have to know as, as a is a GM chief baseball offers. you're gonna screw up some of them. They're all they're not all gonna work. But ultimately what the Dodgers have done is they've you know, built so much from within and, and such a strong core that, you know, they have, if, if some deals don't work, you know, you're still good.
3: So I got one more Yamamoto question, cause I'm a little bit obsessed with this guy. Then we can move on. He's got an interesting frame for a starting pitcher, 5'10", 175 pounds, not your, you know, usual horse kind of starting pitcher build like Aaron Nola 6'2", 210 He's also not throwing like Marcus Stroman who's kind of a finesse guy. He's throwing gas. How much does that factor into the decision to give him big money for the Red Sox?
4: I haven't read it yet, but I think Alex Speer just wrote an article a couple of days ago about like how a lot of these guys, these starting pitchers are smaller guys and actually it was something that, you know, Craig Breslow was asked about at the GM meetings was like, you know, his Reluctance on smaller guys and stuff like that. And he, he doesn't seem reluctant. However, you know, you look at obviously the best pitching pitcher on this free agent market is Otani, so right? Like, even though he's not going to pitch next year, he's the best pitcher. And uh, he's huge, right? And <laughs> he's even jacked. And, you know, he's had two elbow surgeries in the last so many years. So it's difficult per- to predict. Like, you know, Pedro Martinez lasted so long, you know, with what he was doing, throwing gas. And, you know, he was a short guy and, and you know, somebody that Tommy Lasorda never thought would, you know, be able to hold up. And so and that's why he's Tommy Lasorda. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, ultimately, I think that um, – You know, it's difficult to predict, even if they're a big guy, right? Like nowadays, just because of how much, how fast, how hard they throw. uh, Everybody's throwing hard, a lot of pitchers. I mean, they're often as pitchers, obviously, but a lot of guys are throwing real gas right now. And so, you know, that's the difference between also like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, why you're seeing so many Tommy John surgeries is that they're throwing harder than ever and they're throwing you know better stuff than ever with spin rate and all that and so um you know and that has an effect on the arm so you know ultimately you're gonna have to make a decision i don't like the fact that some of these guys are shorter i shouldn't be prejudiced against short guys because i'm only five six myself but it is a factor right like you have to think about it but also you look at it with otani and you know he's he's a huge guy and he's had two elbows issues in the last you know six years or five years so you know I think you're just taking a chance with anybody and that the short thing is you know if he ha- you I think you ultimately have to plan right that they're gonna have a tough and surgery at some point it's actually we can find like that championship game in Japan that that uh, Yamamoto threw he had like what like 130 140 pitches I was like Calm oh. down here. He's, you know, yeah. an MLB team. Is it's great to really compete for your team in the moment, but that's you, did, like, you got another like, season. What's that?
2: I said it's great to compete in the moment for the MPB, but it's like, hey, let's let's focus Wait, on the MLB. We need,
4: we MLB. We need to, do to do that. that. We, we need you to do 100 pitches a for the We're not going to be doing that, that stuff in the MLB. Let's go here. Um, <laughs> you know, and so,
3: uh, you know, it's interesting, but like, you know, we'll see. Oh my God, you're getting my hopes up, man! I thought you were going to say, "Oh, if, you know, well, it's a factor; it might deter them." No, oh, God. No,
4: well, Cotillo is always like Cotillo's like. I really think Vegas knows stuff, and you know, he like he's all about that. Like Vegas does have a little knowledge about this stuff, and you know, yeah, they, they do
2: pay for the whole analytics thing. So I, I, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's it's just the way that people. I, I we talked about it on Friday. The way that the local market approaches Otani compared to Yamamoto. It, that's what throws me off so much because I feel like they're not the same, but they are so close. And, like, I mean, like, of course, Yamamoto doesn't have the two-way thing, but he's being called just as, if not better, a pitcher. And, I like, I, I'm i told to be cautious about Otani, yet I'm told to kind of be like, oh, well, Yamamoto's a real thing. And it's just it makes me so conflicted on that.
4: I mean, you're ultimately yeah, getting like... – if you sign Otani, then, you, you know, you, you're getting – you know if one of the things fails you're getting the other i mean you know, you go look at baseball savant like otani's page like you know like the red areas <laughs> it's like he's in the 98th uh 99th and 100th percentile in hitting in like every category on that's that page and so it's like you know it's nuts like and he's also a guy that you know has a high walk rate the thing with otani though is with the red sox is you know you're you're paying him. You you are thinking about the pitching thing, and then he's had you know two Tom or one Tommy John, one elbow surgery, and I don't think anybody has the exact name of the surgery that he had this past September. Um, however, you know you're looking at that, but you're also looking at like a situation that's difficult because he's just going to be a DH. He's only played 8.2 innings in the outfield in his entire major league career, and you've got. You know rafael devers on a 10-year contract and <laughs> he doesn't even look on the first year of the contract or uh, like a third baseman he's going to be the first year of the contract yeah he doesn't look good defensively he looks like a dh and so you know you don't want um you know to be paying your uh your third baseman that kind of money to only be a dh but i'll uh, but ultimately he might be in your six seven and then you've got you know your two biggest guys your two biggest contract uh, your two longest contract guys, I mean, you, you know, you also Yoshida, you know, he's not a good left fielder, and so he ultimately could be a DH, and so you also, like, if you get Otani this offseason, you're going to think, like, you do kind of want, like, a guy that can stick in that, like, Justin Turner was good in that spot, because, like, he was a DA, they they could sit in the DH, but he also could play first base and he could also play third base. He played some second base. So he gave some days off to people and rotated them into that uh you know, DH spot as well. And so it wasn't just like one guy, David Ortiz, that's in there. I think there's two things to look at when you're looking at that. Like you've got guys like Devers and and Yoshida who could not only get off their feet for a day and have, you know, it's good to get them rotated into that DH position. However, you know, ultimately it's good for your defense too, even, you know, in the next, in this next year, you know, you've got to get, you know, some guys off the field a little bit into that DH spot. And so, um, ultimately I think they'll go more versatility and that's the only reason I can't see them. Like I can see the, you know, everybody predicting, you know, they'll be all in on, you know, Yamamoto and, you know, I think they have the eighth best or the ninth best odds or the seventh best odds for uh, Otani.
1: So, yeah, you, you bring up those odds for Otani and we talked about them a lot on our last show and we all, we all assigned percentages. I want to say Sammy, I think you were at three. I was yeah. at 8.25 and coop the optimist, the ever optimist was at 20%. Someone's, so someone's going to be dumb. Yeah. Someone, someone's got to do the job, but yeah, obviously like, questionable fit you know with the defense and everything and like obviously like as you said with Rafi potentially needing to become a dh sometime down the line and yoshida needing to get off his feet every now and then like this year i want to hear your percentage chance on uh otani to boston what do you got i'd say 20 and it's that high because i'm hearing like you know
4: like i'm hearing you know a lot of reports uh, about their interest and these guys are locked in like you know passing pass and you know Heyman to a degree I mean Heyman I think uses a lot of agents more than you know front offices but um, you know like these guys are locked in and you keep hearing like you know connections and like he has interest and the Red Sox are gonna be sneaking in on him and stuff like that so um, they obviously, you know, as as I said in the past, like Tom Warner had a push for Sandoval from what I've heard, and and so like because they thought he was you know this lovable guy the fans were gonna like and everything. Well, Otani like immediately gets your your fan base like ready and back right. Like if there's and, been- and even
2: if it's not your own fan base, you get the entire oh, Japanese yeah. market
4: exactly so like you know the the money ultimately is <laughs> is worth it just there and um you know i just the reason that i say i think that he would be a, a perfect fit for that right like cuz you've you've had attendance go down in recent years you've had tv ratings go down and so but you know he's also an incredible player so it's not like you're just getting him because you you know you're banking on him to be good and then you're like well you know the, you know, he'll help, you know, restart some things and get Boston fans energized and get more people, you know, watching everything. I think that ultimately, um, you know, the reason that I put it, I would think that the, if they didn't have this DH situation where they've got some bad, bad, bad defenders and some guys that ultimately would be in the DH position, I think that in you know, the fact that, you know, uh, he could put, you know, people in seats and also be a starting pitcher, <laughs> which they need, uh, not in 2024, but, you know, beyond that, a guy that's a frontline starter, that's exactly what they need, right? So that's why I would put it as high as 20%. Oh,
3: my God. You just made Coop's, like, entire Look at him trying to see I... Look at Coop right now. Just look at him. You can When I'm in
2: inevitably let store. down and I, like, go into, like, even deeper, like, off-season depression because he doesn't sign here, i'm blaming this on you it's like, <laughs> like this is on you like <laughs> i want it to happen but i'm also a realist
4: i think the dodgers are you know like it's it's interesting like they didn't even they didn't offer it's unbelievable that JD martinez could still be you know offered a qualifying offer after you know so many years or whatever people haven't given him a call but um they didn't offer JD Martinez a qualifying offer. And, you know, you look at it and JD Martinez would have probably, it it was a decent chance JD Martinez would have taken that, uh, you know, and and then you have him locked into the DH spot with the Dodgers and then you can't pursue Otani. Right. And so, um, you know, I think they're, you know, one of the reasons, I mean, if this was another year where Otani wasn't uh you know Otani wasn't on the market the Dodgers probably would have given you know JD Martinez a qualifying offer this shows you the Dodgers are you know they're going to and you know they have I mean he he's familiar with that area obviously <laughs> he's lived in that area and he likes the west coast and so and the Dodgers spend money and you know so I think that that ultimately, like if I was to put, you know, uh, the team that he's going to go to, I think it's going to be the Dodgers, but I I wouldn't rule out the Red Sox because of just the factors that I said.
3: 20% man, you got my mind in a pretzel. I was so negative on this show. I'm like, oh, you don't even talk about Otani. It's not going to happen, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm wrong. How much, how much did the billboards
2: on 93 on Friday (laughs) afternoon factor into that? I don't know if you caught that at all. What were the billboards? I was driving home from a uh, midday after Gresham Fourier and, uh, on 93, uh, going south, they had two of them, one right by, um, I believe it's the, the food bank and then one right out after you get outside the, uh, the tunnel. Uh, but it was just congratulations to the unanimous MVP Shohei Otani. Uh, it actually is for, for people that did catch, I tweeted it out and it got a little buzz, but uh it was actually it was shown at like the kia forum and it was down in dallas like they had it everywhere yeah but uh um, they had it in boston coop they had it in boston that's all that
4: matters well i'm sure that the new balance people saw it and they're like well we'll fly fly otani here so he definitely sees it like yeah oh, <laughs> hey just, Shohei, you see how, how close we are to Fenway? and say that you know you're the best and everything but yeah. yeah i mean obviously he has that connection too i don't know how much that has anything to do with it but he obviously has the new balance connection
3: this this is like this is where we're at as a fan base right now like not you we're the fans here but like we're talking about maybe signing a guy and I'm like I'm sweating this is so (laughs) we're starved for excitement we haven't had that aside from the Devers extension we haven't had a big splash it feels like in so long my god so Smitty uh, I hope I don't get hurt but it's firing me up
1: yeah Yeah, so okay I want to yeah, I want to move on from Otani to a guy who's similar in a li- in a way and Coop brought him up earlier, a guy who isn't going to pitch for you next year if you sign him but could pitch the year after. I want to talk a little bit about Brandon Woodruff, who I wasn't necessarily expecting to get non-tender because I figured if they were going to go that route, they were going to find a trade partner and work out an extension or something like that. But this is a guy who's on the market right now and is one of the more interesting free agents to me. I wanted to get your thoughts on that, you know, potentially like what kind of deal do you think he could get? Is he looking at a James Paxton type deal in your eyes, or do you think he's going to try to cash in as, as good as he can this off season?
4: Yeah, I think he's looking at more just because, you know, he can't pitch in 2024. I mean, I think that he's looking at a James Paxton type deal and that can include, you know, a team option and also a player option, but not a mutual, you know, thing. So like, you know, either, you know, both sides need to agree on that second year like you know james paxton the red sox declined his option you know going into this you know past season and and you know he picked up what i think it was only four million and so um you know i think that you know you you look at it and that's like this t- maybe it's a three-year deal right like you know and and so i think that that's the type of thing you see where you know you're you're giving him an incentive um to stay the second year and you know yada 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 but um you know, or the third year but he's an interesting guy obviously i mean you know a top flight pitcher and you know you obviously have to focus right now on what you're going to do in 2024 because as i said they might not just need two starters. They may need to add three starters to this rotation. You got a rotation, I think that was what, 22nd in starter ERA at the bottom of the league in innings thrown. And so you need to focus, obviously, on this offseason. And, you know, I, I don't think you can bank on Chris Sale. I mean, uh, to give you more than 20 starts. Um, is he very capable of doing that? Maybe yes, but uh, I don't think you can bank on him. And so you, you need to look at what you have and you don't have much, right. That you can necessarily look at and be that guy's going to give me 30 starts. Uh, and so you need to, you know, you need to folks. So uh, interesting guy. Um, uh, I think that, as I said, like the Avaldi also got that kind of deal, though Avaldi wasn't at that point, you know, the resume of Brendan Woodruff either. So like, it should be interesting to see that kind of, you know, what he gets, but I would suspect it would be two or three years where, you know, you've got different options in it with, you know, the, the team giving him a bigger salary, him taking in a less salary, if he opts in and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. It's such an, in, he's such an interesting guy, because like you said, you're talking about Evaldi and we talk about Paxton, but like Brandon Woodruff when he's on the field and when he was on the field as recently as like early in the, This past year, he didn't really throw that much, but I mean, this is one of the premier starting pitchers in baseball that no one talks about. Like he is an all out stud, but yeah, as you said, can't pitch in 2024 and that's gotta be the priority. That's just the position they've put themselves in.
4: It is interesting though. Like, you know, you look at it and like Noah Syndergaard, like, he never recovered from like the Tommy surgery, and then some guys like you know go out there and they throw harder I mean like you know Cutter Crawford is a better pitcher post he was a good pitcher actually in the minor leagues you know before that but you know better pitcher there's guys that you know come back from that and they're better pitchers after Tommy John and then there's you've seen a trend recently where there's been some big names like Noah Syndergaard who have been unable to come back after that like and you know have the same velocity or uh, several things. And so, uh jake Groom was that even though it was the minor leagues right like his stuff completely fell off as n- what number 11 pick or whatever for the red Sox, and he was throwing like 96 97 you know consistently 95 with you know um just a wipe out curveball and then when he came back from the tommy john surgery he didn't have the velocity and he didn't have the curveball the curveball wasn't that good anymore and so um you know, you have to take those things in, into factors too when you're talking about, you know, injured guys.
2: Changing up the topic a little bit, going we're, we're bumping back from pitching to, to hitting, pitching to hitting. Um, and one of the things that we just talked about was the issue of DH and the fact that, you know, if you sign Shohei Otani, He's going to be DHing a predominant amount of time, which then kind of messes up a lot of what the Red Sox did with both the outfield and the second base shortstop position this past season because so much of it was utility DH. Uh going into next season, who do you see is getting the predominant amount of time at the DH slot? And of course, this is dependent on you know who they bring in as a second baseman. If they bring in someone as in every day second baseman, if they re-sign Adam Duvall or if they re-sign Justin Turner. All those things considered, who do you see as the every, not every day starting baseman, but or for DH? Uh, who is going to be in that slot the most next season?
4: I think it's somebody that's not on the roster right now. I mean, you know, Justin Turner it obviously has very much interest in coming back. He, You know, he's stuck around here. He's candle-pin bowling in the you know, in Boston, he really likes the city. And so, um, you know, and so I think that, you know, you look at him and as I said, he's a guy that can play, but he is getting older, obviously, you know, and, you know, and, and but he is a, pl- a guy that can play, you know, right-handed bat in the first base, you know, give give Tristan a couple days off at, at times and, you know, and, and get some people off their feet and rotate in that DH spot. But there's a lot of guys on the – you know, on the market, on the free agent market that can do that. And I think that that's ultimately when, when we talk about like, you know, like somebody asked Craig Breslow about, you know, having one DH or rotating guys rotating through that spot. And I think ultimately what you want to do is get a guy that's like Justin Turner, that's going to be able to, you know, play the play, you know, some, you know, preferably with this team, like play outfield, right. Like, and, and, you know, right-handed bat play outfield and stuff and, and give other people that, you know, DH spot occasionally. Um, I look at, you know, uh, uh, Rice Hoskins, um, you know, as somebody that, you know, is, is ultimately a, a guy that, you know, they could go out and get, he would be at, you know, the top of my list, actually, I'm looking at, like, you know, some of this stuff, I mean, he was, you know, he's a good, He's you know, he fits that kind of mold of, you know, uh 81st percentile in 2022 of, you know, like chase percentage and 80th percentile and walk percentage when he played. Obviously, he's coming off the ACL. He didn't have to play this year. Um He's a guy that, like, I think would be perfect. Like, you know, he can play some first base. He can play some, you know, outfield. Um, so you've you know you've got the ability to give you know Tristan some days off there and stuff like that. Um, Jorge Solar is you know an interesting guy. I mean like
1: you know Sammy's favorite. That's my right. guy. Sammy loves him. Some Soler, big fan <laughs> of Soler.
4: He's going to you know like his expected slugging percentage. Uh, I'm looking at right now, 95th among all major leaguers in expected slugging percentage and weighted on base percentage. Uh, you know. Uh, 376. So in the 94% on both of those, he's a guy that you know fits that mold of what they're doing with the offense and that you know he he is going to strike out a bit, but he's going to walk a ton and if you know ultimately if you're going to get a guy that's got a high strikeout rate, you want a guy that also has a high walk rate. And so they've actually been doing pretty good in you know getting guys that are lower strikeout rates and high walk rates, but you know with that guy you're going to have to accept the strikeouts, but you know he's got the power. Uh, sensational power he can play some outfield for you he's not a great defender but you know he can play outfield and so um, you know and they can rotate other people into that spot so I look at those two guys as like you know if the, as I said the the, the um, positional uh, talent is not really there on the free agent market but those are the two guys and then I look at trades you know like what can you do and then I also consider Turner coming back because you know we saw what he can do and you know, both the impact that he can have with the bat, um, getting on base, and also, you know, what he can do in the clubhouse. So, and that, that shouldn't go unnoticed. That is obviously not in, you know, analytics, but it is important for the team.
1: Yeah, and, and related to uh to the offense in the outfield, we saw Willier Abreu last year break onto the scene, and I'm just curious about your thoughts there. Like, he, he wasn't the top prospect. I want to know why you think he wasn't the top prospect, and uh, do you see him differently now, than you saw then you do you see him differently now than you saw him before he made his debut and do you think he has a shot to start next year
4: i always thought he was going to be a a decent player at least because of the walk rate right like he strikes out a lot but he was one of only five guys in affiliated affiliated ball uh in the myers um in 2022 to walk 100 100 or more times and he had the second most walks out of any guy in 2022 now the walk rate was again there in 2023 in the minors but you know the walk numbers weren't as high just because he didn't you know he had he had an injury and stuff like that so he didn't play as much you know for Worcester this past year but I looked at that guy as somebody like you know it's difficult to rate to rate prospects right like you know you look at I'm sure if you go back to Baseball America and, you know, Sox prospects rankings of the top Red Sox prospects over the last 10 years, you're going to see a lot of guys in that top spot that ultimately didn't pan out, like the, the Blake Swiharts of the world and Henry Owen. So, it, you know, like if you've got a guy like him that, you know, ultimately works at bats, grinds out at bats and walks at a high rate like that, it also has some power um you can see that like why didn't that guy i actually asked that question to me i'm like why was he in the 20th you know like i don't know really where he was in terms of rankings i he might have slipped up to the 16 17 18 area but i think he was mostly in the 20s throughout his minor league career like even with houston right like, how did a guy not get in the top 10 when he's you know when he can do when he can hit for power and walk that much and so Just some players are overlooked.
3: I think he was ranked below Valdez in that trade too. I think it was Abreu was 28 or 29. And then Valdez was... Yeah, you know what?
4: It's interesting. Red Sox stats obviously knows his stuff on Twitter. And he actually, early on in the year when Valdez came up, he was like, Abreu's the better player of the two. And so... He um, was
1: on that. I remember that tweet.
2: (laughs) Red Sox stats doesn't miss.
4: (laughs) So he was right. Everybody else was wrong.
2: Yeah, I, I, feel I feel like that's she. how I, I don't
4: know it could be a she or a he i've heard it's a he but and it could be a she
2: really oh <laughs> i like i delete the, the less i know i think the better i like the enigma that I is loves how i think I it makes him, it
4: he loves how i bring him up on every podcast though he like tweets to me he's like i just yeah say my <laughs> name or whatever
3: <laughs> no he how you get... stay relevant love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places
6: That's code H-E-R-O-10 for 10% off at Hero.co.
5: I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on. We talk about basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happens. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: I know he did. He did say that a couple of years ago. I don't know if he said that recently, but I end up actually bringing up his name frequently in, in podcasts for some reason because I do value his tweets. <laughs> he does a good job. Good,
2: good stuff. Um, quick question, because I, we're talking so much about you know what's going on next season, uh, but this past season very difficult for fans, uh, for beat reporters, and for guys that follow the team. I'm imagining it was so much more difficult. Um, And I say that knowing like being in and around the park. So what was your favorite narrative? Like if you had to take anything away from the season, what was your favorite part of the season that it could have just been an end all be all start at the end of the season uh, end at the end of the season, that's the end of that Red Sox narrative, or it's something that kind of goes into this off season and bleeds into the 2024 season. Uh, What might've that been?
4: Indecisiveness, like on the part of Bloom and needing somebody that's decisive. Um, you know, like I think that you look at the trade deadline in two thousand twenty two and you would have thought that he would learn from that. Like, you know, um he had the ability to, you know, trade Evaldi, even trade Bogarts if, you know, he didn't think that the numbers could match ultimately. Um, you know, there were guys uh, J D Martinez. You know, if you weren't going to offer him a qualifying offer, why don't you trade him at that, at that deadline? And so, um, you know, there was things that they could have done to make the team better in the long term at that deadline in May 2023, a better season. However, you know, I asked until when they had Boom on the, he was like, you know, do you, do you want me to ask you, ask any questions? And I was like, just one question for me with Boom is just like. You know, this was going towards the deadline. Like, what did you learn from the previous deadline? And, you know, they didn't really uh, apparently learn anything because they had a similar, you know, approach and they did nothing. And, you know, and so I think that that's kind of like the theme is, is that you're building up, you know, the minor league system and you need to make now decisive moves. You have to take away, you know, you and that bleeds into the soft season, like you're going to have to give up some top prospects. Um, if you want to bring in a starting pitcher through the trade market, if you want to bring in, you know, a positional player that is going to help at second base or a right-handed bat, that can, you know, play outfield and DH or whatever, or, you know, and help out at some at first base. And so you're going to have to give out some people, you know, you're going to have to, um, give up something. I think the best storyline of the 2023 season was, you know, the emergence of the emergence of Tristan, just because, you know, like. He was completely awful in the first month, right? Like, I think he had nine hits in April. And, you know, you look at that and uh, a lot of people would have wilted, right? Like, you know, a rookie with such high expectations, um, it didn't affect him. He's like, ultimately, I know I'm a good hitter. It's going to the, the, the results. They're go- I'm going to get results eventually. And, you know, he, fought, he finished third in the rookie of the year. You could make the case that he should have been second. And... You know he looks like a superstar going forward and another thing with Tristan is like you know he's an interesting guy so like you know you look at the face of the franchise in the future and his ability to produce like he does and also like tell it the way he does after games like you know he gives his actual opinion and fans you know will hear him and he has obviously interesting stories beyond you know just giving an opinion that's you know an actual opinion on something after a game uh you know just his personality wise he's an interesting guy you know going beyond painting the fingernails and stuff like he's just an interesting dude and so you could ultimately see him being the face of the franchise you know
2: going forward uh you know a few years do you you look at the way that he came in and a lot of it was he's being told not to do things. He's a clubhouse disruptor. And now, hearing you say that he could be the face of the franchise, do you, and you're even smiling right now as I say well, that, is that not what you root for, like as far as like narratives go for players? And, you know, it, it's kind of like a he's the kid that gets knocked down, but he just keeps getting back up. I, I don't see how you can't root against that. That's the Boston identity.
4: The interesting thing is now he, um, There's a difference, obviously, in this case, and sometimes it is not. Like, you know, like David Ortiz was the leader and the face of the franchise. Now, I don't know if he can necessarily be the leader, especially right away. Like, you know, he has to, you know, there were those, you know, things that that he did and, you know, trouble with some of the veteran guys in the clubhouse. Like, you know, and so does he have the personality to be the leader? I don't know, but he definitely has the ability to be like the face of the franchise. So those two things I think separate. And um, maybe he does. Um, I think that, you know, he he is, you know, he does his thing his own way, though. So I don't know if he can be a leader. But um, in terms of like people who they look at when they talk about the Red Sox, like, you know, fans and stuff. I mean, he's going to be out in front. He's going to be the you know, one of their best hitters for a long time, and he's going to be the guy that's out in front of the media too. So I don't like in the clubhouse. I don't know if he's a leader, but you know, in terms of
3: the winter know, weekend, thing, darling,
4: but, what's that? Yeah.
2: The winter weekend, darling.
3: <laughs> yes. He kind of tricked us, though. He had that cool stash, and we all thought he was going to have a stash all season, and then he didn't. So well, he's got like the beard now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my He's God. He's looking yeah. like a mountain I he looked man. good on MLB Network. I thought Beard he was looking good. Um, Chris, so you mentioned a moment ago they're going to have to make some trades. What's the willingness to trade those top prospects? And I'm not, you know, it doesn't have to be Meyer or Anthony, but, you know, those top 10 guys that they haven't been moving in the past few seasons. Is there a willingness to do that now?
4: I think it sounds like there is uh, with the way that Craig Breslow has talked. And, you know, I think that it's interesting with him, the whole dynamic of, well, he hasn't seen, he doesn't know exactly, like the most important part of a trade, right, is like knowing what you have. Obviously, you're going to have to give up, you know, star players at times, and players that you believe in, but you also should ultimately be able to know like a player like with Dombrowski, you know, with, with Devers or Mankata, like he did actually identify devers is the better player you know when they were talking you know trade with chicago and stuff like that so you ultimately have to know who the best players in your system are um you know in when you have two uh, two prospects like that you know and and it is important to know so he's gonna have to rely on player development he's gonna have to really study up hard but i think he is willing to do it just by the way he's talked, you know it is is um at his introductory press conference and at the GM meetings, I think that he's he's basically you know basically and I think that an interesting thing he said too is, is that you know he pretty much said in a nice uh, or he did say in a nice the nicest way possible he's going to trade an outfielder this off season because he has too many left handed bats and you know that ultimately whatever they can get you know, for an outfielder, help in other areas uh, that are needed. So, um, you know, I think you'll look to trade prospects. I think you'll look to trade outfielders, whether that's, you know, Verdugo, who everybody thinks is the guy because, you know, his contract is up at the end of next year and, and, you know, maybe a change of scenery would be a good thing for him because of some of the, you know, uh, things that happen in terms of the tardiness and all that and the non-hustle Um you know, ultimately like they, they might trade, you know, Jared or in, you never know. I'm not saying they will. I have no inside information on that, but um, you know, like uh, there's, there's a lot of things that they could do, you know, in that outfield mix to, to, you know, because they do have a lot of left-handed batter bats that are good. So they need to even it
2: out. And I think like I, that, that kind of wraps up all of our questions. I don't know if you guys have any final I mean, like that we covered just about everything this off season, so I appreciate it, Chris. That was everything yeah, I've mean, <laughs> We'll to
3: a
4: slow start, but I feel I finished strong.
2: No, <laughs> yeah. that
3: was that was strong from the the jump. Um, <laughs> so to recap, we got good decent chance at Otani, decent chance at twenty percent might actually finally trade some of these top prospects. My God, you be like I
4: wouldn't trade though. I if I was them, I wouldn't trade. I think the best prospect is Anthony. Yeah. I would trade Marcelo. And I'm not like with what Rob Bradford wrote, like the whole injury thing, like, you know, um, his numbers ultimately were not there at Portland for an extended period of time, but the injury did happen in Greenville. And so you have to take that into account. I would like to see you know, extend a time where his shoulder is fine and that he's, you know, good to go uh and that you know he's normal and i think that you know normal in terms of like you know no injuries and just him and what he can do i am not saying he's not going to be a, a great player to actually only fall down to 15th in you know prospect rankings after not having the greatest of years especially at double portland when some of those other guys in that draft made it to the majors right like um you know that shows you that they are high on him that, you know, he is high thought of around the league. But I think that Anthony's just, Roman Anthony's just such an interesting guy because just the, like, you know, I mean, 19 and he was in, you know, the way that he finished up in double A. like In 19 he was in, you know, uh, you know 14, 15, 16 months before he was playing, you know, high school baseball and he finished it up at double A that strong. And the ability to walk and everything. He did have some strikeout issues at times, especially against left-handers. But I think he's the best prospect in the system.
3: Yeah, so to be do that you advanced think- at that age is just you don't see that too often. I believe he was like one of the youngest guys in Double A for a while. Maybe not the youngest, but close to it. I think and it was then, like Jackson Holiday and then him. Yeah, and the I knock on say. the knock on Roman Anthony was oh, he's not hitting lefties very well. But then the last month or so of the season, he starts heating up against them. It's like, it's hard to find a hole in this kid's, uh, his resume right now. Yeah, well,
4: so- that's like, you talk about Marcelo and the age difference between double A and, you know, him. I think it was like three and a half years, like the median median age of, you know, double A pitch. So if you're not injured and you're also playing against significantly, you know, uh, those two things are factors, right? Like, and so um, I think he'll be, I still think he's you know can be the real deal good defender you know he's got a sweet swing there's not much you know in it that you know when you look at his swing you're like that that's that's a swing right there of a major leaguer and so i think he's going to be a good player i just think that roman might have a little bit more talent
3: in two a- so when it comes to spring training, training oh i was just saying that both of those guys have great sports names Marcelo
2: they really Ryan, do, I, don't they? Do like those him. are those are
3: baseball names.
2: Those are
4: great. So, so his father, I don't know if you caught this. I wrote an article on Roman Anthony during the year when he was in Portland, and uh, I was just trying to get to know his life, whatever. And uh, I was like, "Yeah, just tell me about everything." And he's like, um, "So I was like, what's your what's your you know family and all that?" And so he ends up telling me that his uh, father's name is Anthony Anthony, and his brother's name is Anthony Anthony Jr. And I'm like, be, <laughs> you gotta be, you are this. telling me this because you want me to write this. And then you're gonna have a laugh because it's not true. And that you just, you tricked me into say, I, he's like, no, I, I swear it's true. And I looked up in records and everything and he they are Anthony Does Anthony, he go by like Tony Anthony, Anthony? records? Yeah, well somebody wanted, <laughs> I think one of them goes by Anthony Anthony and the other one does do Tony. I think the younger one might do Tony, but, um, yeah, Anthony Anthony's that that's just their names. Anthony Anthony That's a
3: wild move by a parent. That's literally a uh, that's a bit from Kirby Enthusiasm. There's one there was uh, Richard Lewis had an uncle named Lewis Lewis. And that was the joke. they all making fun of that. That's, that's unbelievable. I mean, and
4: these his parents are I think his mother is like a doctor or something. Like they're I mean, they're just not like they're my <laughs> family and their sister is going to grad school uh, to go to med school, I think. And, and, um,
2: so incredibly smart and like successful family. Yes. So they were just like, you know, That's not they, they, they
4: actually like they just didn't like they, you know, I'm sure that they could think of creative names. And they just thought, well, like Anthony, Anthony, we'll just name him after his father.
2: <laughs> I love that. And it's just kind of like, hey, if the kid doesn't like it, he can figure it out later on in life. Yeah.
4: Well, that's why, uh, like, that's... with uh, with Cooper, my, my son. I was like, just
2: about to, yep.
4: He's got the name Cooper. However, his, his middle name is James, so he could always go with CJ if he doesn't like Cooper. But uh, I don't CJ know son. how you couldn't like Cooper, so there you go.
2: Cooper, hey, I unbiased here. I think Coop yeah. is one of the best names to have. So Sorry, <laughs> it's a, a plus to you and your wife on that.
4: Well, thank you. It took a little, like, she actually was the one that initially brought up the name when we were having our first child before we knew our first child was a, a girl. So we were talking about bo- both boys and girls names. So the second time when we knew we were having a boy, I brought up, I was like, Oh, you, you mentioned Cooper. And she's like, ah, it's all right. I don't know. Let's think of some other names. And we couldn't think of any other names. And so I don't know if you know this, but yeah, like Cooper Cup was in the, was, uh, it, we were watching the super bowl and, um, you know, I was like, if Cooper Cup scores a touchdown, how about well, we can't agree on any name? If Cooper Cup scores a touchdown, you got to go with Cooper. And she's like, no, but if he wins the MVP, I'll go with Cooper. And he won the MVP, so there you
1: wow.
2: go. Wow. Yep. I remember you tweeting <laughs> that out. I was, this is, the, this is <laughs> so, the best thing to happen for the Cooper brand. That's yeah. destiny right there. So yeah. is he is he a lefty yet? Are we making sure? Actually, he's he is be... a
4: lefty. I, he does okay. everything lefty. He, he colors lefty. Um. I'm a lefty. Do, how do, why did you bring that up? Well,
2: say? I was just thinking: Are we getting him ready for uh, for to be a starting pitcher? I know oh, yeah. we're talking about starting pitchers for the Sox right now, but maybe yes. down the road, eighteen years.
4: Unfortunately, with the height thing, you might not make it. But um. I don't. Hey, we
1: were <laughs> hey, just we're saying, start, we're small pitchers might be bad. Yes. we're bucking the oh, turn. This is
4: extremely small. I'm five six. Well, my wife's got some height. She's like five four. So we might bake. My parents were five, five and five feet. That's why they only made five, six. So we might make so five, nine, five, 10 with Cooper.
2: Okay. Put them on the monkey bars. Let them straight, uh, like really <laughs> just like stretch out those arms. Arms
3: Have circles. the wingspan That's like Pedro. Exactly. And, you know, get, well, the, the Red Sox outfield is very left-handed heavy. So if you teach them to hit switch, it's a better fit for 2024. True, true. <laughs> oh,
2: all right, Chris, thank you very much. I, we appreciate you having you on. Uh, you're welcome on anytime. anytime that uh, you have anything to talk about i know that the mass live guys you you've got a text line going on is that
4: (laughs) we do have a text line going on explain that to me a little
2: bit am i can i just like fire off random questions to you like at any point yeah
4: yeah so i I guess there is a subscription thing but like i guess like rob bradford was saying like what's the difference between just firing off a question on twitter and then firing a question off text however we have to respond to every question on the text message, whereas you don't respond. I, I don't. I sometimes we're not
2: paying you on Twitter. We're, we yeah, are paying you on emails the emails. Me, I,
4: I occasionally forget to do it. So yeah, <laughs> they're paying me to respond to these people, so I have to do it.
2: That's a that's a pretty good system. So I I encourage people to go over there, pick your brain on things because it's going to be a heck of an off season. Uh, Chris, thank you for being our first guest actually on episode really? five, the Nomar episode. Oh. of uh, play Tessie. So uh, enjoy the rest of your off season. I know that we'll be, uh, we'll be bumping into you at points.
4: All right. Sounds good. Anytime. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you guys.
2: Awesome interview from Chris Smith. We again, thank him very much. Go read his stuff over at mass. We're, we're partial to W E I and odyssey and what we put out, the great articles that Rob writes, but Chris Smith, Chris Cotillo and uh, Sean McA, which we might be having later on at some point after the holiday uh, so more, more reason for you to subscribe, to listen to play Tessie every episode, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're in your ears talking about the socks. So go subscribe. We'll catch you on Wednesday. We will be having a, a Thanksgiving episode talking about what we're thankful for, for the Red Sox. And until then, my name is Coop. This has been Sammy and Gordo along with me for the ride.
3: Toodaloo.